Hi everyone, and welcome back to Everybody's Story. I needed to take a few weeks off, but I'm back now, and thank you for being patient and for understanding. Um, And hopefully it gave you a chance to catch up on some older episodes. So we'll be wrapping up the first season of Everybody's Story pretty soon. There will be three new episodes out, not including this one, before 2020 ends. Then we'll start back up in the new year with all new episodes, guests, and topics. This has all been a real learning process for me, and I'll definitely be looking for feedback from all of my listeners. So today I have Oren on the podcast. He has such a genuine, calm way about him, and I hope you all really enjoy listening to his story. So before we start the episode, don't forget about the Buy Me a Coffee page. The site lets you donate to me to help with podcast production costs. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take a moment and donate the price of a coffee. It's my only source of income for the podcast, so any little bit really will help. Just head to buymeacoffee.com slash everybody's story, and I'll put the link in the description. Or if you're not able to donate, no worries. You can rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, or text a friend about an episode you're listening to, or share it on your social media. Anything you can do will be much appreciated. All right, so let's get going into the episode with Oren. So welcome to the podcast, Oren Leong. Um, he is an Ireland-based dance artist trained in multiple styles. He began his journey with Irish dance, and he holds numerous national and international titles, including three world championships, and he also has his TCRG. He is a contemporary dancer with DYDC under Miriam Ribon, and he now has a master's degree in contemporary dance, where he also developed a love for aerial dance. He's worked for many companies and choreographers such as Irish Modern Dance Theater and Catherine Young Dance, as well as Kristen Fontanella Dance, and is also the assistant artistic director of Leash Youth Dance Ensemble. Right now, Oren is working with Kreeglon Integrated Dance Company, Fidget Feet Aerial Dance Theater, and with Tony Tron. These are all for new shows to be presented this year and into 2021. And he has also been commissioned to create his own solo and site-specific works. Um, and also, this summer, Oren received Dance Ireland's Hatch Award 2020 in recognition as an emerging Irish artist. So welcome to the podcast, Oren, and thanks for being here. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Emily. Yeah, and just, uh, I have seen Oren dance, and I just want to say he is an amazing performer, amazing dancer, and so all those credentials are well-deserved. Um, oh, that's very kind of you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so to start, I'm just going to ask the way I start with everyone, which is if you could just talk about your relationship with your body or your body image through kind of your kid years and your teen years and just anything that kind of stood out to you, if anything. As a kid, I don't think I really spent all that much time thinking about my body, to be honest. You know, life was fun. You went out and you rode your bike. Um, And it was fairly easy. It wasn't until I went to, uh, you know, adolescence where it started to get problematic and I started to listen to a lot of outside voices. Um, I did wear glasses up until the age of about 15, 16. Um, and I never got bullied for it until I became a teenager and, you know, they call me four eyes and stuff like that. And I was like, Ooh, I don't know if I, if I really like that, but also I used glasses almost to disguise my face. Um, cause I didn't really like my face. <laughs> that sounds really weird. And I'm not sure quite why that developed. I think it's, you know, I'm mixed race. Um, so I didn't look like the kids in rural Ireland and we moved, our family moved from Dublin 
where they're only getting used to all that mix to the Midlands of Ireland. And it was very different. And when people saw that I came from a mixed family, there was a certain amount of bullying. Now, I don't think it's that they even realized that it was um, racism, but because you were different, they would pick on you. So it didn't matter if you were a dancer or if you're from Dublin or if you're mixed race, once they could find some weak point, they would go for that. Um, and that came in, you know, in through my face. Um, and yeah, I wanted to change things about myself. I wasn't really um, happy with, you know, my eyebrows or my eyes or my jawbone or my high cheekbones. And I was like, where am I getting these ideas from? But I just, what I saw in the mirror was not uh, what I wanted. Um, I think everybody goes through that, but it was definitely, you kind of feel that you're fighting that battle by yourself at that time. And you can't really talk to your parents about it. Oh, hi, dad. I just don't like the cheekbones you gave me. You know? yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then as I got older and all the other guys in school started to grow and get this growth spurt, I'm still waiting for this growth spurt. Cause I've grown since I was like 14. Um, but they were, I was the smallest guy in school graduating. Um, from secondary school and I don't think I'd have felt it as much but that I was made feel different for it you know um in terms of performance like we'd have like sports races and, and do things in sports where certainly having height or having long legs was an advantage because I used to be quite fast as a kid running and then they all have this growth spurt and I'm kind of left behind in the dust right but yeah it was yeah I think the fact that I, I am of a small stature um I felt it because I was the only one so I felt alone but then they kind of hammered it home more by announcing it to the world oh you're really short right that kind of yeah. thing you know and so then where does dance fit into this what you started at a very young age right dancing yeah I started doing Irish dance at the age of six right um and were you the only boy in the class I joined because my brother was in the class. Oh. Yeah. It was a bit of a mistake, really. Like, I wanted to do breakdance because breakdance was cool. And they did all this <laughs> cool stuff with their bodies and, like, spinning on their heads and all the stuff you see on American TV. But um, I ended up speaking to his Irish dance teacher. I asked her if she could teach me how to breakdance. And she looked down at me and she said, well, I can teach you how to break a leg. I mean, as a child of six years old, like, huh, right, well, this kind of sounds all right. Yeah, I'll totally do that. But then I got involved in Irish dance, which only utilized the legs. We never went to the floor. We never did inversions. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So then what was it like in kind of the dance world as you got into your teens as well? Do you feel like it helped you become more confident in your body or did it make you more insecure or how did that start? Um, I think for... Yeah, being a male dancer in Irish dance is an unusual one because you're in the realm of dance, which often gets targeted as being effeminate. Right. And yet within that, guys aren't allowed to do certain things because they're guys. So I was always told boys have to be loud, they have to be strong, they have to be fierce little warriors on stage. And that wasn't quite me. Also, there was girls that were bigger than me. so. I, it kind of, I don't know, like I had small man syndrome or something if I was to go around with that sort of attitude. And again, it was because this was 
um, encouraged within my dance school that I felt bad about it. If no one had said anything, I wouldn't have seen it as a problem. Um, right. But it always was instilled in my head that I should be bigger. I should be more aggressive even on stage. Um, and that was, there was a pressure to, to be someone that I wasn't. And did this like seep into like your everyday life as well? Like, did you feel, I'm really interested in these ideas of like masculinity and gender and stuff. Did this kind of seep into your, you know, life and school and work and whatever, where it's like, I need to act stronger. I need to act tough. This whole idea of like what it means to be a man or not so much. Yeah. I mean, I think I had enough sense to realize that trying to go around as as the big dog was not going to work with my stature, people would have just laughed at me and I'd have even laughed at myself. But I suppose I, I had a quiet confidence because I knew I could trust within that. So yeah, I think outwardly I displayed a lot of confidence um, while inside I was dying. And so when did that start to, or if, like when did the, the inside start to match the outside and these are like big questions I know but so you're showing all this confidence and then was it like in your 20s or when you started to kind of come into your body more yourself or when did the inside match the outside <laughs> I've never I've never even thought about that but I guess I might change that and say like when I became more comfortable with just being me right and that was that's a continuous process um and it's as much building confidence as it is um, just giving in and letting go of the things we hold on to and accepting our faults and our imperfections, which can be quite hard to do when you're trying to be this, you know, confident guy and then saying, oh, well, you know what? I'm not the tallest, I'm not the biggest, I'm not the strongest. And I'm okay with that. Um, so like now I'm much more confident than I was when I was in my teenage years and even my early twenties was still insecurities and we'll always have insecurities, but I think I've gone to that place and now they just don't really matter. Yeah. Um, I also remember hearing somewhere that those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Yeah. And for me, that was really good to be able to filter out the people that this would really affect and you know those who love me either way never brought those issues up so it did involve a little bit of you know facebook purging of you know your online friends versus your actual friends um but yeah i would say that now and within the last two or three years so it hasn't been long have i felt yeah i i don't love everything about myself but i accept myself I know there's room for improvement but I don't feel like I should hang my head when I go out the door yeah yeah okay um and then how about competition how did that play into things like because I know obviously Irish dance is quite competitive did you put a lot of pressure on yourself or yeah yeah as a competitive Irish dancer I didn't see myself as you know an athlete and mm. I had to you know I mean you know yourself you had to be so physical and so energetic and it was exhausting because you weren't 
if you had to take breaks or if you had to maybe eat and I'm someone with a very fast metabolism so I'd be perfectly happy to like pig out in between fetch rounds um and during a class as well I have loved to have eaten something but food wasn't allowed you were only allowed to drink water um like I remember collapsing um in classes before um seeing like black dots and just like well I'd be on the floor then and I didn't realize at the time that this was because my body needed more sustenance and yet I also remember you know being told oh you're not going to eat that now during competitions like what people will see you eating that and I was like I, I didn't think that this was going to affect me as a guy. I didn't think, not to say that it should affect girls, but it just, it became very apparent that in uh, the traditional and, and certainly within the classical um, dance background, food and a dancer's relationship to it aren't always the healthiest. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love to get more into that. Um, and then later we can get more into like the other dance styles that you've done. Um, sure. but just since you kind of brought up food, um, yeah. So what was that journey like? Um, and did you ever, did it ever get into sort of like the orthorexia realm, which is like the obsession with healthy eating? And did you find that there was a lot of like talking about food in the environment or kind of what was your relationship like? And then maybe also what is it like now? Yeah. So within the world of Irish dance, um, competitive Irish dance I always wanted to eat a lot of food I always had a healthy appetite um but when I would I suppose be criticized for something or if my jumps weren't high enough for some reason I would just automatically think that if I ate less I'd be able to do more <laughs> the irony of starving your body in order to get ahead is something specific I think to dance yeah um and when I went into like contemporary dance, I noticed there was a lot of vegans, a lot of vegetarians, um, and I would eat everything. So I started to feel, oh gosh, maybe I should tone back my, you know, consumption of animal protein. And again, that didn't suit my body because I was I was burning so many calories. I just wasn't able to fuel the engine and I was becoming really lethargic. And I think I quickly acknowledged, I was like, this, this doesn't work for me. It works for some people, but it doesn't work for me. Um, so I'm lucky in that regard. My parents always, you know, instilled healthy eating, um, during our childhood. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy, you know, a good greasy bag of chips now and again, you know, like I know how to find the balance. Um, so I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'd like to hear more about, um, kind of what inspired you to go into contemporary dance and your journey, I guess, during the master's degree? What got me into contemporary dance was, well, I'd want, I'd wanted to be a break dancer. I always wanted to do other dance styles. I ended up in Irish dance, carried it on. Um, and I'd, I'd done the All-Irelands one year and was just talking to my teachers afterwards. And they're like, would you consider other dance styles or where would you like to go would you like to get involved in river dance or heartbeat of home or you know these big commercial shows and i kind of knew at that stage that i i wasn't suited um for that world um didn't look part for that world either so it was i didn't have the politics behind me to be in that world so i'm like okay it's fine i'm gonna leave that but i would love to try other things so i googled like drop in dance classes and I found a, 
advanced beginner class in contemporary dance in Dublin in a place called Dance House. And that's where I met a Spanish lady who I took a couple of classes with. And then later on in the summer, she contacted me asking me if I'd audition for GYDC, the W Dance Company. Um, and I was like, eh, I don't know how you got my number. I didn't know it was her. <laughs> but she was saying, you should audition. And I was like, I don't have any like proper training. I only took like five or six classes. She's like, it doesn't matter. Just come along. And I was like, well, I'd love to, but I'm actually away at the moment, which was the truth. I was in the United States at the time. And uh, she said, well, whenever you're back, um, just pop in and you can look at rehearsals and you can take like a class. We always start the day with a class. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, cool. And then that started uh, my being a member of DYDC for like two years. Um, so it was kind of, <laughs> she said it wasn't an audition, but it totally was. <laughs> um, and that changed, you know, everything changed completely then because I describe my understanding of my body with Irish dance that it was always my head transferring knowledge into my body. Whereas with contemporary dance, it was my body informing my head. And this me was revolutionary as someone who had done, I think at the time I'd been doing Irish dance for like 16 years. I carried it on then together, Irish dance and contemporary dance for two more years before I left competitive Irish dance. But this was revolutionary for me to understand that, you know, I have an intelligent body that can inform me. It can tell me when it's hurting. It can tell me when it needs a break. And I'm not using this brain, which is an amazing computer, but we can still override um, the body telling us that we need to slow down, we need to stop, we need to eat. And um, it was a bit of a drug, if I'm honest. It was really satisfying to to acknowledge this in my body. And it was like I was discovering movement in a new way for the first time, even though I'd had all these years of experience. And I was like, I need to, I need to keep doing this. I was spending money to do it. And I was like, I was busy like seven days a week with, you know, part-time work and studies and all that. But I was like, I, I need to keep doing this because there's a truth within this that I feel I've, I've neglected for all of my, my childhood and teenage years. And now I have the chance, so now I have to seize it. And then that led on to my doing the masters in contemporary dance. I was gonna do the masters in Irish dance at the University of Limerick. Um, and again, Mariam said to me, well, you should try contemporary dance. And I was like, I don't think I have enough experience. And she said, well, just try. You'll never know unless you try. So again, a lesson was learned there. Um, and I got into the masters and experienced something completely new then again end because they asked me very deep questions like why do you move which wasn't a question i'd ever asked myself before that was going to be my next question by the way oh really so, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah why do i move and because in irish dance it's it's fairly clear cut it's because you're doing competitions and because you want to win yeah yeah and yet in contemporary dance that's not valid that's the superficial answer Right. It has to go much deeper than that. And suddenly I was facing my reflection saying, Oren, why, why do you dance? Why do you do what you do? What's the purpose of you being a dancer? And that was difficult because I felt that I was almost, that, in, that ended up inhibiting me from wanting to move at all because I didn't feel I had a reason. Right. 
Um, I love what you're saying about um, the connection between mind and body. And I think you're so right in Irish dance that it's like, you know, like no matter how you're feeling, just push through, tell your mind, like you like mind over matter type thing. Um, and so I want to hear more about like when you're doing contemporary dance, especially like in the beginning when you were just starting or now, like how does it, does it feel more vulnerable to you? Does it feel like you are able to express yourself more? What is the difference like that you feel in your body Irish dance versus contemporary. Let's just make them like kind of black and white there for a minute. Yeah, talking about Irish dance to begin, um, there's lights on you. You're wearing like this ridiculous costume, which you don't realize at the time, but like there's so many sequins and glitter and just like everything's over the top with your sock glue. And I mean, I didn't have a wig, but I was very close to having one. Um, there was just so much of that, that in a way that's almost like a shield to you and then there's the music um which is another element but you're able to hide a lot of the time behind music oh. and going into contemporary dance then i was often moving or i had to move without music and i was like okay i, I can't draw inspiration from um this audio stimulus i have to trust in my own feelings my own sensations which you never do in contemporary dance um, so it became less, I would say the energy was less um, performative and it was really more like an internal searching and people were invited to watch this and to observe this. But even with myself, I struggled at the start to, to look at myself doing contemporary dance because it didn't seem flashy enough it wasn't enough of a spectacle i was like but my body can do all these things i need to i need to be doing these like crazy like you know kicks and jumps and all these super fast moves because that would have been what would ca catch people's attention in irish dance and yet in right. contemporary dance it's almost understood that you have um a skill set and a virtuosity in dance so they don't always want to see that a little bit now and again like seasoning is fine but trying to be subtle in dance and even finding a stillness and being still on stage is very, very hard for a dancer. And it really is like, you feel like you're naked on stage. It's, um, I think you need to find a new sort of confidence from within to do something like that. Cause it's very easy once you find the rhythm to just keep dancing around and, and bopping up and down until the music stops and the bell rings and you take a bow and there's your Irish dance around done. Whereas in contemporary dance, you have to hold the space and you need to be very aware. You can't just go into your automatic. Right. Yeah. Your, your head is in a very, very different place. And then I think your body expresses something that's very different. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's a really interesting answer. And I, I agree with what you're saying, but it's also, I'm like, yeah, I probably did that. The whole shield thing. Uh, you know, I was part of that. So I get that. Um, but like thinking about the music as well, like, cause that always scared me about contemporary dance. They were like, don't listen to the music. I was like, how, right. You're like, you're like, how do I not? Um, because it forces you to like, think about, like you said, the sensations and your, how your body's feeling. Um, so then what about, um, aerial dance? So now like how long have you been doing aerial and kind of, um, what's your experience been like with that? So I got involved in aerial back in 2016 when I started doing the masters in contemporary dance. And for me, it was 
a new adventure. It was an opportunity to try a new dance style. So I said, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and it looks totally cool. And it also ended up becoming a little bit of a savior to me, I think, because I was struggling with this idea of like, why should I move at all? And yet within Ariel, by its very nature, it's it, and a strength is needed, a physicality is needed, or nothing is going to happen. And, you know, I would have considered myself a strong enough Irish dancer, but then to go to the air was completely different. This is like, gosh, I'm so weak. I have no understanding. And you spend all your life standing on the ground and then suddenly you're up in the air and you're like, it's like I'm, I'm learning to walk all over again. Now, it was, you know, gosh, why did I undertake this? Everything hurts. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the physical demand. Uh, and it was a lovely contrast to not being able to move when I was in the contemporary dance studio. Um, people say, oh, it's less about strength. You can really rely on, you know, understanding your body from a dance perspective. But I would say there is a technique that requires strength and flexibility in aerial dance, because if you don't, you could end up hurting yourself or injuring yourself or killing yourself. Um, so you need to have a baseline and understanding of what you can and cannot do when you're in the air or you will get seriously hurt. When you're on the floor dancing, the most you can do is fall over and you bump your head. Um, but it's much more serious when you're, when you're in the air. That's what I was, that's what I was going to ask about next is like, do you feel then like you have to be more in your head then? Because you're like, if I make one wrong move, like you said, something really bad could happen. Do you feel like it's quite a mental game or do you feel like you have to just really trust your body or trust the training? When I started at first, I forgot that I was a dancer and I was trying to, I was trying to learn area like a circus artist, I think, or somebody that didn't have an understanding of the body and then I was reminded by Fidget Feet, um, which is the aerial dance company that I got involved with. They were like, you're a dancer, so utilize all those skills. And I was like, oh, yeah. And again, they had to bring me back to that place. Now, of course, I still needed to have um, a certain technique um, where I just abandoned the fact that I was an experienced, I'd say, floor dancer. But... Now I'm in that place where I can trust in my body and I can, I can feel where I am in space in relationship to the apparatus. So I know if I release this or if I move this way, it's going to make something tighter or I'm going to release from something. Um, and that requires a listening, but I first had to make sure that I had the technique, I would say. So in a way, it's kind of both. Yeah, sure. It is required skill. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, Ariel, <laughs> I, I did an elective in Ariel. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, so fair play to you on that, Oren. Um, so I want to get back, actually, I know we're kind of jumping around, but it's fine. Um, more into like the masculinity, more about like the gender and stuff you mentioned, like when we were talking before the interview about um, kind of that you felt Irish dance was very, well, I'll let you talk about it. Irish dance, you feel is very masculine and you mentioned contemporary feminine and then you talked about Ariel is kind of both. Yeah, Irish, Irish dance is so um, sexist and gendered. Now that might have changed now because it changes so fast as a dance form. 
but we weren't boys weren't allowed to go on their toes because that was considered girly um i remember my brother he pointed his toe in class and he always had these beautiful arched feet i just never had them i had these ugly feet <laughs> you just never have these beautiful points but he did and our teacher said to him she said don't point like that um she said don't point like that unless you want to be one of those boys and i was i was a young teenager at the time i mightn't even have been a teenager i could have been 11 or 12 but i just remember hearing that and thinking i don't know what that means but i know it's a bad thing the way she's saying it i know it's a bad thing and i know i shouldn't be one of those boys whatever those boys were yeah and i used to always look at my feet then and think is is that point like like one of those boys am i going to get in trouble if i point my feet like that if i stand like that if i if i you know i became very conscious of everything i did because i didn't want to be rejected or treated differently and it's crazy that you know a single comment like that even if she didn't mean it or she didn't fully understand the consequences of it saying that to one person had a ripple effect on me um in contemporary dance then i suppose within doing the masters because it is so specific um, and i was coming with all this high energy of an irish dancer um and more of a I would say mainstream contemporary dance approach, which is what I learned in DYDC. Um, being told that I was using too much energy or that I was going outside of my body was hard to accept because I felt that, well, I'm a guy, so if I want to be super physical, is this not, and my body can do it, so is this not, why wouldn't this be allowed? And I think maybe the question had to be reworded. Yeah. But I, I know that contemporary dance, postmodern dance has come from a very feminine um, trajectory. And coming, from, coming into that from Irish dance, which is like you're like a warrior on stage, I was trying to figure out my own expression and the energy of like, okay, I'm in a male body, but now I feel... I'm being told that I'm moving too much and that my movement is almost aggressive and I'm going inside of my body. And yet I am this too. So I felt I, had, I was trying to return to my, my masculine roots while also trying to embrace and understand this femininity. And so within Irish dance, I was looking for softness. I was looking for um, maybe a simpler approach to movement, uh, more space within the music. And I was told, don't do that. And then in contemporary dance, I was being told, I'm moving too much or your movement is too aggressive. Um, and so there was this either extreme and I'm like, okay, I do identify as a male. I'm not this, you know, hyper-masculine type guy. But I also connect within, with my feminine side. And it's, I do believe that gender is a spectrum. And I sit somewhere kind of in between that. And every day you wake up and you have a new body you have an aging body and so you have to accept how that is and so sometimes i do feel like i just want to punch the air and then other days it's like no i'm, I'm feeling a lot softer and of course these are very um these traits that i'm associating with gender are dependent on our society our western world the upbringing that i had because this changes all over the world um so that's not to like offend anybody by saying oh if you're soft you're feminine that's not what i mean at all 
Um, but I think traditionally in, in our Western world, we would say that aggression is more of a masculine trait. And so that's kind of the place where I'm coming from, just to, to clarify that. Yeah. And then, in, yeah, in aerial dance, it's a weird one because you do need to have a strength and yet you also need to have an elegance. And you have this hybrid kind of body um, where, for me, I was, I was able to be both and it was acceptable. There was no criticism from the outside. And I was like, wow, suddenly I found, like I found my tribe to be me. Because you need the strength if you want to climb a rope. But don't do it like gorilla, you know. Let's see a little bit of line and curvature and, you know, control of the space. Um, so I think that's what I, in a way, maybe, that's why I, I enjoy it so much, is that I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm still trying to express the masculine and the feminine. Right. Yeah, that's really, I mean, great that Ariel has kind of been that for you. I wonder if also your like solo pieces have been, I mean, because obviously you can kind of put whatever you want. Because I mean, obviously the choreographer is like, I'm sure they were all great that you worked with. But at the end of the day, you have to do, you know, what their vision is. So I'm wondering, like in your solo works, were you able to kind of, were you playing around with ideas of gender and ideas of masculinity and things like that? Uh, yeah, to a degree. And that's an ongoing um that's an ongoing research, so I've applied for funding, so hopefully we'll see if that can come to fruition. Um, I think when you're in charge of your own work, it's easier during the master's, you know, there's a, a strong gearing towards getting the grades and all that kind of stuff. And then when you're working for other choreographers, they might want a particular energy um, and you, you deliver that. But for my own self, yeah. I think it's also becoming less of a, a question that must be answered now. And I realize that this will come with time and it can't be forced. Um, and the more I introspect and understand why I do the things I do, the more I see that I really am both. And sometimes I'm a little bit more masculine. Sometimes I'm a little bit more feminine. Sometimes a piece has both and it's all kind of like mishmash together. So it's satisfying when people comment on that and they say, look, I can see, I can see the strength, but there's also a subtle beauty to it, um, which is what I want. Because when I was an Irish dancer looking at the other guys, all these Ku Collins of the Irish dance world, I was like, I don't belong there. And I think if younger kids can look at me and say, oh yeah, I identify with that. Yeah then hopefully that can show people that art can be healing. Definitely. Yeah. And I think like, again, these things all, I think, relate to like outside life, outside of dance as well, because like we're, none of us are just one thing. Like we're not, you know, we want to put each other in boxes. We want to put ourselves in boxes and say like, I'm a man and this is what it means like to be a man. But we all have like masculine and feminine energies in us, you know? And I think like if someone could see you and like, yeah, it may inspire them to like, think about masculinity in a different way. And um, I just think that's really important. I'm really like passionate about these like ideas of toxic masculinity and the same for women. Like we have these ideas of being soft and passive. And um, I think, like you said, if art and dance can be like healing and start to, you know, art affects culture, culture affects art. And like, I think it could, you know, could change things. So um, I think it's really great what you're doing. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I still see it now, this toxic masculinity. Um, yeah. You'll go onto Instagram and you'll see all these guys with these, you know, seemingly perfect bodies doing, you know, 100 push-ups and all this. And um, I speak to friends and even I look at myself and I'm like, you know, you're a bit on the skinny side or maybe you've got a little bit of a COVID body going on. Um, and it's very easy to look at all that advertising and these influencers or whatever it is that you call them and believe that this is how you should be. And there's so much social media around us. It's hard to avoid it. And if you see something often enough, if you hear something often enough, you'll start to believe it. And that's really, really dangerous, I think, for guys growing up now where they feel they need to have this image. And I'm thankful that I'm past kind of like the early development stages of um, being a teen, but I'm still affected by it and I need to be strong against that. Or I could get sucked into that cult, um, this body dysmorphia of having to be big just for the sake of being big. And I would say contemporary dance has helped me to accept the body I'm in with all its flaws and that I don't have to be big. Um, I think I remember reading somewhere that um, bodybuilders say, look at what my muscles, look at my muscles. Whereas athletes say, look at what my muscles can do. Right. And I think dancers go one step further and they say, you know, look at how my muscles can make art. And so there's, there's all these other layers, I think, through art and dance that just completely obliterate this idea of just being big and strong. Like that, that is the only thing that makes a man a man. Right. You know, it's yeah. more than just physical. You have to be able to go deeper than that. Um, I think guys need to trust more of what's inside and let that be expression then for outside rather than just focusing on the outside. I know people very close to home that have these beautiful bodies, um, but inside they're not healthy. And I mean that on a um, on an emotional level, but also on a physical level as well. Taking these fat-burning pills and excessive protein and creatine, all this kind of stuff is so bad. It's just as unhealthy as having McDonald's day in, day out. Yeah. But if you truly understand how your body is meant to be, um, and you know, I'm like, okay, I'm just over 5'5", five, five. I've got a 26 inch waist, I've got like a crazy appetite, I eat meat, I understand when I need to like hold back off the jelly tots. Um, having that awareness is much healthier um, because sustaining that sort of body as well is also really difficult and I would say almost useless. You know, like where in the real world do we lift anything like a dumbbell, you know? Here's my bicep curls for my Tesco shopping. Like, you don't do that. What are you doing? The body works in a system. And so all these muscles are connected, you know? And that's why I've seen like really big guys try aerial and they struggle. And I'm like, how can he be twice my size? And yet I can do with one arm what he's struggling to do with both. And I realized because my system is integrated whereas his is not right yeah i mean you bring up a ton of good points and i think that's like the 
the point of my podcast is like the, you don't know someone's story just by looking at them. And so like someone may have the, you know, perfect body and that we see on Instagram, whether it was airbrushed or not, whatever, it's like, you just don't know. They may be the most insecure person in the world, you know? Um, yeah. So what, like on social media, what is your, are you pretty active on social media? Have you started to, like, I know myself, um, I've started to kind of like, you said purge it. So I guess you, you said that about Facebook. Have you started to kind of do that? Like, you know, these fit, fitspo influencers, whatever, did you used to follow them or what's your story there? Yeah, I would use Facebook, I suppose, to advertise myself and to share my own work. Um, and then things like Instagram are great for being able to learn like tricks and technique for Ariel and Paul and that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't, um, I wouldn't say I have an unhealthy relationship to it. I know when enough is enough. Um, and when it's getting me down, but I also, I don't, within my own professional work, I've got a lot of professional photographs, these beautiful images that I don't share because I don't feel that that's an expression of me, you know, that I, I live this perfect dancer life and that everything is a photo shoot, you know, but I do include things like yeah, I I have an injury now or I'm just in rehearsal lying on the floor because I'm a whole person. And I think it's important um, for dancers and non-dancers who follow me to see that all of this makes up Oren, the dancer. I love that. Um, I, I probably have never noticed that. I mean, I've probably noticed it about your posts and stuff, but I've just... Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to notice it more now and be like, wow, he really is posting, you know, because we always say this on social media, you only see the highlight reel or whatever, right? And like, that's just, you know, it's just damaging, especially if you have a bit of influence or a bit of following or just even in your own little circle. And um, I think if we could all do a bit more of that, it doesn't have to be like you crying at your lowest lows, but like the mundane parts of life as well, right? But the mundane, the mundane parts um, can often be the most significant for me it you know i admire the um those stars michael flatley and all of that but i don't know them personally and they haven't affected me personally i haven't had those special conversations with them where they have moved me like special conversations have been one where this random spanish lady contacts me when i'm in america and i'm like no sorry and she ends up being one of these people that is so has been so influential to me becoming a dancer. Um, so it's always been the little things for me. Um, finding those people in the dance world where we're just having that conversation about life. And yeah, it sucks and it's hard and I don't have the flexibility I used to have. And um, as you're saying, those highlight moments are very few and far between. It takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of tears takes a lot of doubt and overcoming that um, with the difficulties that, you know, dancers and artists face, not just because of the pandemic, but in general, lack of funding, lack of respect, trying to find rehearsal space. Yeah. And people, I think, need to be made aware of this also, you know, that um, it's not just this cheesy world because people often ask me, you know, about my week and they never say, how was work? They always say, how's the dancing going? Yeah. Almost in a patronizing way. I'm like, 
I do get paid for this as well. Right. And what I do is really, really hard. It, it's been something that I've been building and working on since the age of six. And yet you kind of say, oh, well, once you're happy, oh, did you have a nice time dancing? I was like, I was working. And I experienced all those things like everybody else. Frustration and stress and annoying colleagues, although for the most part, they're all amazing. Um, you know, and time where you just want to be a blob and not do anything. Yeah. That happens in the arts world too. Yeah, for sure. And I think people, I think they think that artists are all, I mean, we are passionate. Some people are passionate, but I think it's this idea, like we, I don't know how to explain it, but it's because you're passionate about it, it. It's like, it's just a hobby, right? Because you love it so much. You just do it just for the fun of it. And like at most, like a lot of days it's not fun, you know, or it's like you said, there's parts that are really hard and um, just like any job. So um, I think it's just this idea of the like it's just a hobby and wow, how was the dance? And was that really fun? That must've been so fun. Like you just jumped around all day and for sure. Yeah, I guess I used the, the social media then not just to you know on a kind of professional marketing, um, but for raising awareness of the life of an artist, the life of a dancer, the highs and lows. I love that, yeah. Um, so we mentioned COVID a couple times. Um, just before we end, would you want to talk a little bit about if you have anything to share about like your experience with your body or um, food or anything during COVID and then kind of just where are you now with like your body in general? Yeah, COVID was a, like, especially the lockdown here in Ireland, even though it wasn't called that, but the time of nothing happening was wonderful for me to reset uh, it was a chance for me to just switch off my brain. I think as artists, we're always trying to find the next thing. And even though we might not be working, our brain is switched on to try and find the next opportunity or to realize that we have to do this and we have to connect with this and yada, yada. And so to be able to not think and just enjoy life was just so wonderful. Amazing. Being able to work on like my mental health, my physical, emotional, spiritual well-being was all really valuable and needed as a top up to kind of say, okay, do I want to do this? Do I want to keep going ahead with this? But the fact that there was no plan was a plan for a dancer. Yeah. The fact that we had to sit still was a chance for us to say, okay, we're sitting still. As artists, I think we're really. Um, resourceful to be able to adapt to change and I'm grateful for that because other people that have always had these permanent jobs and the nine to five Monday to Friday were suddenly freaking out that they had to stay at home with the kids where dancers were like okay I'm going to be in the present I'm going to acknowledge it I'm going to work with it and it's not about having to take up a new language or learn a new skill and say, look, I'm going, I'm going to be. A lot of people are afraid to just be with themselves. And that's why I believe they, they freak out because they start to ask questions like, why do you do what you do? Where are you going in life? Yeah. And they've always had distractions like going out for meals or going off on holidays. And then everything stops and they have to look at themselves and say, who am I? Totally. Yeah. I think that was the scariest part was being alone with our thoughts, you know? Um, which is kind of funny. That's kind of how you explained like being 
in contemporary dance is like listening to yourself and like kind of just like you talked about the stillness and stuff and it's almost like we all were forced to become contemporary dancers for a little while um yeah well thank you so much for sharing all that Oren. um is there something you want to add that maybe we didn't cover that you really wanted to talk about or something you want to kind of leave the listeners with? Yeah, I suppose I've had a, a couple of injuries. Um, yes, I forgot the injuries, yes. <laughs> this year and the, you know, in, in previous years. I think dancers are expected to be these sort of, you know, supermen and superwomen. And although we can do amazing things with our body that, you know, the average Joe, would not be able to do because they don't have the training but they're well capable of it too um i think we need to be uh easier on ourselves to know that we have limitations to know that our bodies need rest um to give ourselves the respect that we deserve in dance we often overlook injuries and make it out that we're we're strong we're fighters and we can push through it at least you'll hear about, you know, these um, world-class rugby players that will, you know, do in an ACL or whatever, and they're done. And that's as much risk to them as it is to us. Uh, it's a chance we take. Um, but it's also a gift to be able to do what we do day in, day out. And I think people need to give that the same respect as what they do to sportsmen and sportswomen. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying all of that. Um, I think there's such a good proponent of you know the arts and um i'm with you so yeah thanks and how are you doing injury wise now you i know you said you had an ankle thing yeah so i did my ankle in um in aerial dance i ended up going over on my ankle of all things um just from a change in flooring from like um soft padding to concrete floor um when i thought it would be more something in the air but yeah it can always be the little things that you have to look out for um and so I've just learned to acknowledge, to embrace that, to give myself the time to heal um, rather than just adding insult to injury. And yeah. Because you just healed from like a major thing though. Was it your shoulder or your arm? Yeah. So I uh, dislocated my shoulder um, and I needed to have surgery for that. And it was a big, you know, question of like, will I go back to doing what I love or do I have to say goodbye? So I'm very grateful now that I'm, I'm back doing that, that the surgery was a success. Um, and the time of COVID allowed me to really rehab that to be better than what it was. So very, very grateful for that. I also, I acknowledge that on social media and I, I tell people about that rather than making out that I am some superhuman that's invincible. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing your posts as well. Um, they were just really real and genuine. So yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. Um, so before we end, we'll just do a quick, a few quick, like first thing questions. So first thing that comes to mind, you ready? Uh, dogs or cats? Dogs. Okay. Uh, pancakes or waffles? Uh, pancakes. Okay. Um, although Irish pancakes, I think are different than American pancakes, but that's for another, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've been in the US, you said, so. Um, beer or wine? Uh, wine. Okay. Red wine. <laughs> a nice Merlot. Yeah. Like, nice Malbec now would be grand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, city or suburbs? Ooh. Or like rural uh, or city? Yeah. I'm going to say city. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, mountains or beach? Mountains. Really? Okay. Yeah, definitely mountains. Cool. Because I can climb stuff. I can't do that on a beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That one's usually pretty like polarizing. People are pretty mountains or beach. Uh, yeah. Facebook or Instagram? Ooh, um, I'm fairly much a Facebook user. I should probably move into Instagram, but when my heart tells me to do that, I'll move more into that. <laughs> uh, tea or coffee? Ooh, tea mostly, except when I'm really tired, when I'm really hanging for a day and there's a lot of rehearsal before me, then I need to have extra caffeine in me, so then it's coffee. Okay, fair enough. Um, are you a morning or night person? I would be more of a morning person. Okay. Um, summer or winter? In Ireland, I'm definitely a summer person. Yes, I need my vitamin D. I love my long days. Um, the sun going down at 10 p.m. suits me just fine. However, those dark winter nights are coming and I'm dreading it, to be honest. Uh, cake or pie? Cake. Okay. Now, did you have a dream job as a kid? Yeah, I did. Um, I actually wanted to be a train driver. Interesting. Yeah. Did you have like a lot of toy trains and stuff that you played with? Uh, I did. And I had an electric toy train set and I had a Lego train set. And <laughs> yeah, that ended up changing. Right, just slightly. <laughs> just slightly. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite holiday? Or sorry, in Ireland, you guys talk about vacation. Uh, like a favorite, you know, Halloween, whatever. Ooh, um, I don't know, to be honest. Um, I might say Paddy's Day because it's a chance for us to really connect with our Irishness. You'll always have a bit of crack as an Irish dancer. You'll probably do some dancing or get involved in some gig. Yeah. So yeah, that was fun. A chance to kind of connect with some Irish pride. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And wherever you are in the world during Paddy's Day, like you'll be such a celebrity, you know, as an Irish person. Yeah. Irish dancer. Uh, okay. If you could travel anywhere tomorrow, where would you go? Where would I go? Wow. Um, I would probably go to Southern California. Wow. Have you been there? I have. I've been plenty of times and I have friends there and I was meant to go over this year and just haven't been able to. So San Diego type area. Yeah, San Diego. Exactly. Uh, okay. And the last question is what is the best thing or your favorite thing that your body allows you to do? I ask everyone this. That my body allows me to do. I, this is probably going to sound really cheesy, but just being able to get up in the morning and not have an ache or pain, I'm so grateful for that. Um, when I had surgery on my shoulder, like every morning was just so torturous. And I was like, I really, really, really pray that I can not feel this and that I will make a full recovery. And days when you're not feeling a niggle in your ankle, when you're not feeling anything in the hips, when the lower back is not aching, those are really good days. You know, we take it for granted, um, even dancers, and we definitely should not. I think that's the one benefit of an injury. I mean, apart from maybe you can come back stronger, but you always come back more grateful. Um, and I think it takes an injury, even a big injury, to be like every day, you know, that I'm feeling healthy. Like it's, um, I'm grateful for that. So your health is your wealth. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you again, Oren. Um, do you want to tell people where they can find you on social media if you want to share anything? Yeah. So I have a Facebook 
Facebook page at the moment, Oren Leong Dance. Mm-hmm. Um, I also use Instagram. Well, most people tag me in Instagram, but I will probably start using it more come 2021. It'll be my New Year's resolution. <laughs> um, so that's uh, Ali Nice, but you'll also find it through Oren Leong. So Ali Nice is E A L A I N E Y E S. It's a kind of funny Irish English word hybrid. Um, but yeah, it's mostly Facebook for the moment. And then I'll probably have a website in the future, but right now I don't. Cool. Okay. I will put all those in the description so I can find you. Um, well, thank you again so, so much for your time and for, um, yeah, sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Okay. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening and thanks to Oren for joining us. Remember, we're at buymeacoffee.com slash everybody's story if you can contribute something. And find us on Instagram at everybody's podcast. And on the Instagram, I post about the guests and I also post on the stories about things like asking for your feedback and for your opinions. And I do plan to do that more, especially when the season wraps up. So remember to also follow, rate, review, and share the podcast with a friend if you can. New episodes come out on Fridays. And last thing, remember that your body is wonderful and it's strong and it definitely doesn't need changing, unless that's what you really want. Also, your body has been with you like for your entire life and it made it through 2020 almost with you. So that's definitely pretty impressive. (laughs) Okay, uh, thanks again for listening and I'll see you next week.